This is the Pfeffer on Power podcast, accelerating your career, where every other week we have a guest who is going to talk to us and talk to me about how they have used ideas and concepts from my power class and from my book, Seven Rules of Power, to accelerate their career. And today, I am thrilled and honored and pleased to welcome the famous Valerie Shen, who was a student in my class who comes to the Women in Power panel and who I think in many respects uh, exemplifies many of the principles that we talk about and is going to discuss with me something that is reasonably controversial that she and I have already discussed online, but we're not going to start with that. Um, Valerie began essentially at the top. I love this. You know, many people start at the bottom and work up. Her role, I believe, just out of business school was to uh, start as chief operating officer for a venture capital firm. And I want to begin with you, first of all, Valerie, by welcoming you to the Pfeffer on Power podcast and begin by giving you an opportunity to spend a minute or two or three talking about your background prior to coming to business school, and then your internship and how you were able to get this job as chief operating officer. And then I'm going to ask you about why you took that job. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to be here. I loved your class and I tell everyone to take it. Now it's sort of self-promotion for me to tell people to take it, given that you've invited me to come speak. But I love this opportunity to be here with you. In terms of my background, I'm originally from Madison, Wisconsin, did a lot of speech and debate in high school, was exposed to environmental topics through that, and decided to study environmental science in undergrad. Then upon graduating, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do, but wanted it to be something in the business world, decided that I should go to McKinsey to try and learn business skills. And then I had applied to Stanford for business school when I was in college, knew I was going to business school and wanted to try a different experience in between. So reached out to one of my mentors who only became my mentor originally because I sent him a cold email in college. Um, He was at the Kleiner Perkins Green Growth Fund. I just asked if they were looking for someone to come work with them and it turned out that they were starting a new fund and wanted to bring me on board to help with that initial process and then also help with the last bit of investing at Kleiner Perkins. That ended up being a fantastic role where I got to try out various operational work in addition to the deal investing side. I did that for a year, came to Stanford for business school, and then after school was talking about going back to the team and was offered the opportunity to help with operations in addition to doing investing. And when I was talking with the team there, in addition to some advisors at Stanford, I was told that actually you're better off choosing a role that doesn't give you way too many responsibilities, but rather focus on just one piece of it. And so I decided to focus on the operating side. And the reason for that was twofold. One was I actually just happened to like it more than the investing work, having gotten to try out both. But I think one of the more important pieces was that I felt it would be a more unique opportunity, in part because it was something that clearly the rest of the partnership wasn't super excited to do. And just in general, successful business school students tend not to be interested in the back office operational side of venture. And therefore, it gave me a lot more opportunity to be special and unique. Yeah, I love that answer. I think you do want to differentiate yourself. And I think uh, operations is a good place, obviously, in which to do that because people aren't uh, that interested in it. And your role, you are the chief operating officer. That is correct? 
That's correct, yes. And for what fund are you the chief operating officer? The fund is called G2 Venture Partners. We make venture and growth investments in climate tech. Okay. And is that part of uh, Kleiner or is it a separate company? It's separate. This was started in 2017 as a completely separate fund. It's just that a lot of us used to work together at Kleiner. Okay. So it's called G2 Venture Partners. Okay, right. excellent. Very good. You know, And uh, how large is the fund? So we're currently investing our second fund, which is $500 million. We have almost a billion dollars under management. Okay, good. And tell for those people who don't know what a chief operating officer does in a venture fund, could you describe your job for a couple minutes and say kind of what you do and what your responsibilities are? Yes, of course. At the highest level, the way I think about this is a venture capital fund is a business and it needs to be run like any other business. And so I am in charge of running the firm as an operating enterprise, and most of my other partners are in charge of investing, which is the product or service that we offer. So more tactically, that means I'm in charge of everything from HR and recruiting and personnel management to managing our limited partners who are the people who invest in our firm. So basically the people who give us money to then dole out to the portfolio companies. I'm in charge of managing the whole suite of outsourced providers who do our legal, our finances, our tax, audit, IT, basically any service providers ultimately report up to me. And then I also oversee PR, marketing, the assistance on our team, things like what are our COVID policies or where we're going to move next, basically anything you would think of for running a business. Excellent. Since you don't look like you're, you know, in your 50s, because you're not, um, this sounds like an enormous amount of responsibility uh, for someone who's basically essentially just out of business school. Can you explain or maybe elaborate a little bit on how you used ideas from power or whatever, wherever you got them to get into such a high level role so early in your life? Yeah, I think there was a lot of learnings from the class. One of the things is, you basically should just ask for what you want and be willing to ask the uncomfortable questions and also be willing to think about more non-traditional or out-of-the-box ideas for yourself. And I think an example here would just be, it would be easy to say, oh, I don't feel qualified for this. Oh, I can't raise a fund or I can't manage the auditors because I've never done that before. But then you realize, well, actually, we're starting a new fund. My partners are very experienced investors, but they were working at a big enterprise where someone else was doing the audit and tax. So actually, it's not like they really know how to do this either. And if they didn't hire me, they would go hire someone else who also might not know how to do this. So why would I believe that I can't, right? And everything you probably can learn and you just have to remember that there's no reason for you to take yourself out of the running before anyone else takes you out of the running. I, I love that answer, by the way. Keep Thank going. you. You taught me the answer. So I think that's <laughs> good. Um, I think the other thing that I've realized is I have a specific skill or it's not even a skill. I'm lucky in that I really like talking to people and meeting new people. So I wanted a role where this could be helpful and 
I think that my role is a combination of the things that I most enjoy to do. For example, I took on the recruiting portion because I love Stanford and business school, and I just enjoy being in the flow. So this allows me to have an excuse to talk to the new group of students each year from Stanford, from the other top business schools. I also end up interviewing most of the people who get these early stage investor roles at any of the climate funds. So they're all now part of my network and they're awesome people that I can continue to hang out with. And so that's been a a lucky part of the job, but also something that I consciously decided to make a bigger piece of it. Another piece is the PR and marketing, which we weren't doing that much of as a fund, but I really like going to conferences, meeting people. I found it's a good way to meet potential investors and then also to just help build our brand. And it's not a bad way to build a personal brand as well. And then also to do what I enjoy again, which is meeting people and hearing about interesting ideas. So I think that a lot of it was crafting a role that encompasses the pieces that I'm good at and that I enjoy. I think I've also been conscious about not doing the things that I don't like to do or am not good at. One example would be anything related to coding. Like I've just never learned to do computer science. So some of our tools that could have fallen under my purview, actually other people on our team have stepped up to do. And I think one of the benefits at being at a small fund with a small number of people is that you have flexibility to carve your own path that way. Yeah. And I like that. I think part of what your answer reflects, I think, is to do things that you're good at. And, and, and you know, what Gallup would write a book. I mean, Gallup has written a book called Play to Your Strengths. And I think you have really followed that advice to craft a job for yourself that plays to your abilities. And by the way, to craft a job for yourself that is not necessarily the traditional I want to be an investor uh, role and a fund, but to craft a job where you are, in fact, in contact with all of your partners and with all of these outside organizations. So if I'm thinking about, you know, the G2 fund, I see you as kind of in the center of a lot of links and a lot of what goes on. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I will say to the credit of my partners, they've been really good about this. From the very beginning, they said that I would be in on all of the partner meetings, all the investment committee meetings to the extent that I'm interested, and all the decisions about how we run our firm. And I don't think that I would have gone to take this job with a fund that wasn't willing to let me do that, right? It's important to not be thought of as you know different or other in that way. Yeah, that's very smart. Um, Do you want to tell a little bit more about how you actually got the job? Because this is a lot of responsibility. Is this because you knew them from your previous interactions together? Or is it because you asked for the role? Or is it tell the story of how you got the job? So I think I got the job because before I went to business school, when I first was working with this team, I sort of was doing this job, right? So Ah. I was hired as an analyst on the Green Growth Fund team because I had that pre-existing relationship, which really only existed because I cold emailed one of the partners. Um, And then we were starting this new fund and we had to do all these things that no one knew how to do. Like, how do you choose a fund administrator? How do you design a logo and build a website? And I sort of just started doing various things. When I was there before business school, I didn't have decision-making authority on anything, but I would tee up the decision, sort of do the pre-work, have my partners help make the ultimate decision, and then sort of see it through. And then when I left, they were like, oh, wow, Valerie was kind of acting as our chief operating officer. Wouldn't it be great if she could come back and do this for reals? And that's how I ended up getting the job opportunity. 
I love it. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of, of course, the Tristan Walker case uh, where he became head of business development at Foursquare by basically doing the job, yeah. you know, <laughs> doing the job that no one asked him to do, but he did it anyway. And, you know, after he did it successfully, as you did, then, then you get the role. I love that. And I think a key thing is doing the job that no one asks you to do, but then especially if you happen to like the job that no one wants to do, then you're incredibly valuable because if they can't get you to do it, then they have to do it and they really don't want to do it. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And that's great. And you are, I assume, given your title, you are a partner in the fund. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Excellent. Congratulations. You were like living, you know, this is why we've had you on the podcast. So I'm now going to turn to the more controversial aspect of all of this. You are, of course, an Asian woman in technology, which does not have a lot of women and does certainly not have a lot of Asian uh, women in technology. And in the Silicon Valley, uh, the Ascend Foundation has written a bunch of reports about uh, discrimination and, and so on. And I engaged in a very interesting email exchange with you. So I will ask you the question that I asked you in that email, which is how have you experienced your life as being an Asian woman in high technology? And how do you think about discrimination? And how do you see yourself? And your answer, I thought, was just not only provocative, but I think extraordinarily insightful. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about that. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity. So I get asked this question a lot, right? I feel like I'm often invited to be on panels, I don't know, because I'm a woman or just panels about being a woman. And my answer is that I just haven't felt discrimination from either my team or from the world at large for my race or gender. Um, If anything, I think that I've gotten some advantages due to either affirmative action programs or programs that are trying to hire women. I can't say that no women are getting discriminated against. I just can say that I personally haven't felt it. I think to the extent that there is some disadvantage to being a woman, it comes primarily from the likelihood that I'm going to be in a dual income household going forward rather than having a spouse at home to support me. I recognize that even for women, that's a choice, right? But given that I am most likely going to choose to be in a dual income household, it's going to be perhaps more difficult than some of my partners who have a spouse at home supporting them. But beyond that, I just haven't felt any discrimination for being a woman. And in some ways, I think that people harm themselves by being always on guard for microaggressions and thinking that they're being treated differently and just overanalyzing and worrying about this rather than continuing to try to be awesome and focusing 100% of your energy on being awesome. And I also believe, despite the fact that we're discussing it right now, that extensive discussion about discrimination and minority issues is sometimes a disadvantage for us because it highlights the difference rather than pushing everyone to treat us as equals. Yeah. The part of your answer that I would really emphasize, because I think it's extraordinarily insightful, which of course doesn't surprise me because you're a genius student in the class, is this issue of cognitive load. I mean, what you have really talked about is cognitive load, that when you carry around a set of things, I'm going to be sensitive to, as you described, the microaggressions, or I'm going to think a lot about how I'm different or how I fit in or all this other stuff. It adds a cognitive burden to the burden of doing your job. And so one of the ways in which to deal with that cognitive burden is to try to not think about it. And I think that's what you've done. And I think that's a very smart thing to do. Yeah, it's worked for me so far. Recognize it won't work for everyone, but it's just the way that I've chosen to live my life. 
No, that's very good. So one of the interesting things about you is your willingness and ability to, this word is not intended to be negative because it's actually, I think, quite positive, self-promote, including, by the way, in your email address, which is, I believe, <laughs> i.amvaleryshen. Yes. I think that's a kind of a bold email. Describe how you think about getting yourself out there and making yourself visible in the world. That's funny that you pointed out the email. Just the quick story about that. Way back in the day, I didn't want to get a Gmail address, but my best friend from high school, who was also my debate partner, insisted that I should. And she had somehow decided that I am Lingren was going to be her email. So this was almost what I created to mock her. But I actually own Valerie Shen at Gmail, which would be the more responsible thing to do. But I just like my email. Um, but anyway, so to answer your actual question in terms of getting yourself out there, I just think that... So much of what happens in life, it's a combination of you being able to be competent and do your job and have real insights, and then also just people knowing that you exist so that when they have a job to be done or when they have a question that they need insights on, they actually call you, right? You have to do both. And I think it's a little bit naive to believe that just by doing your job well, you're able to succeed or get the opportunities. You have to do both. You have to be proactive about finding ways to be known. And then when you are invited to do a podcast or invited to speak or you know invited to write something, you also have to do good work. You can't just have one. But I think once you recognize that, then you view the self-promotion as just a part of the job and not something that you should just be doing on the side. And then I also think you have to accept that you sometimes have to put yourself in slightly awkward situations and ask for things that you'll be told no. So one of the examples is I've started to realize that you can speak at most conferences as long as you just ask. <laughs> and actually, it's not that these are all super important, interesting people. I mean, generally, they are important and interesting people, but also they're just people like me who decided to ask, right? Or when it comes to the GSB, I love Stanford and I want to stay involved. I've told Dean Levin that I really want to be on his advisory board in the future, which I think requires you to be way more famous than I am. But I'm starting to do all the little things to hopefully set myself up for that. And that is some amount of self-promotion and that I have to tell everyone that I want the opportunities so that they are offered to me. But also it means that every time you get something, you have to do a good job, contribute, have real insights. Otherwise, you don't get invited back. Yeah. I love the idea of being bold, which you are, and also the idea that you're able to do that because you don't get in your own way. You don't have a set of scripts in your head that says, you know, I'm too young for this or I'm not qualified for this. I mean, we've already really talked about that. I think it's one of the things that's made you successful. Well, that and having a lot of great mentors who've been helpful, including you. Thank you. So thank you. With that, we'll um, end this because I try not to go on too long. This has been the Pfeffer on Power podcast, Accelerating Your Career, where every other week we talk about how to accelerate your career through using principles of power and influence. So if you're interested in the topics that we're talking about, please subscribe to this podcast. You should follow me and can follow me on jeffreypfeffer.com. That's Jeffrey, P-F-E-F-F-E-R.com. You can read my book, Seven Rules of Power, and you can follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and believe it or not, TikTok. Today, we have been talking to the wonderful Valerie Shen, Chief Operating Officer 
at G2 Venture Partners, who has explored with us how she became a venture partner, essentially straight after graduation, and some of her thoughts, which I think have been extraordinarily useful. Valerie, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for inviting me and for all of the wisdom over the years. 